Right. We'll be studying together in the book of John. John. So now we're going to be starting into the New Testament. We've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. Uh, we've been overviewing a lot of books there. We jumped to Revelation last week, which was written by John. Uh, and now we're going to be jumping to John's Gospel. Uh, there are four Gospel accounts, which most of us all know that. Um, the, the first three Gospel accounts are called Synoptic Gospels. Uh, these are Gospels that attempt to summarize Jesus' life. And each Gospel is different because each Gospel uh, is trying to bring out different qualities that are found in Jesus. But John's Gospel, as we're going to be studying it tonight, is a Gospel like no other. Uh, this is a very unique book because of the way it's laid out. Um, he's actually trying to tell uh, all, all, these, all of these stories with a specific purpose in mind. And typically, uh, as we do these overviews, I like to try to point to uh, uh, some kind of indication of what the purpose is, what the point is of the book. And we don't have to guess about John. It's actually pretty clear in chapter 20. Um, so instead of starting at the beginning, we're going to jump to chapter 20, not the last chapter, but uh, almost the last chapter. And notice what John says about the things that he's written in verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John tells us there's, there's many things that Jesus did, so many things that, uh, that he doesn't take the time to tell you everything. You don't feel like he could, but the things that he is going to give us in this book are written with a purpose in mind, and the purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might have life in Him. Uh, so John picks out stories and, and events and teachings in Jesus' life with a specific purpose of helping the reader believe who Jesus is and understand that Jesus is the Son of God. So as we look at the book of John, one thing that you're going to notice as you read through this book, this is not like any other gospel, right? And you remember in all the other Gospels how uh, you've got these parables, you've got these miracles, you've got uh, huge sections of teachings with Jesus, and, and they're kind of similar uh, in the stories they use and the pictures they use. John, he, he uses more unique stories than any of the other books. And his focus is just apparent. As you look at each story we're going to notice some, some things he's trying to bring out of the story that, that have to do with that purpose statement to help you understand who God is and who Jesus is. Uh, this is like a, a theology book, a book that teaches you about God, teaches you about Jesus. And it's trying to encourage belief. So it's an evangelistic book. It's a book that's trying to get those who, who haven't quite come around to believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that they might actually believe. Uh, and so it provides some kind of apologetic, you know, proofs, evidences that Jesus is who he says he is. And also uh, it's intended to encourage and increase faith 
in those who are already Christians. Yeah, you've heard all those other Gospels, and they tell you who Jesus is, and, and of course you can believe because of the proof and the fulfillment that you find in Matthew and Mark and Luke. But John thinks these are the stories that are most notable uh, and most important uh, for us to understand who Jesus really is. So what's in this book? Well, this is a very uh, amazing book, a very interesting book, a lot of uh, interesting dialogues throughout the book that we're not going to have time to dive into fully. Um, but there's a lot of pictures in this book that I think are really important for us to see, and we'll try to get into those a little bit in our overview. If you study the book of John uh, at all, you know that that first section, the first 18 verses, are like no other. And, and it, it's probably stuck in your brain as you, as you read through that, that this is, this is a lot of information about Jesus in the first 18 verses. Uh, so we're going to read through it just to kind of get that impression. But this is an extremely, what I call, thick section of Scripture. Uh, that to, to break down every point that John is making in these 18 verses would take many hours of, of study and, and discussion. But he gives us this thick section to start his book off because throughout the rest of his book, he's going to be touching on themes that are mentioned in this first 18 verses. So we'll read through it just to kind of get a sense of what the whole book's about. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law has given, was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So this very beginning section is just thick. I mean, it's just dense with information. But if you got anything out of it, hopefully what you got is that Jesus was in the beginning with God, and Jesus has made known to us who God is, uh, and he's revealed the light uh, he's a light to the world that reveals who God is, and he gives life to everybody, right? This is what John was hoping, is that you might believe in him and that through him you might have life. And this is what he says, Jesus came to the world 
to do. Uh, there's a number of phrases throughout this that will be repeated throughout, throughout the entire book. Um, the idea of light and life, obviously, are themes throughout this book, uh, and light shining in darkness. Um, bearing witness is something that is extremely important throughout this book. Um, as, as we see twice repeated in this text, is this idea that John bore witness that Jesus was the light of the world, that he was the one who came before him, even though Jesus was born after him. Uh, Jesus is the one from the beginning. And, and so John is trying to, to point to John the Baptist, John the Apostle, trying to point to John the Baptist to say he bore witness that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, uh, who has made known who God really is to all of us. And really, that's, that's essentially what John's going to try to do throughout this book. He's going to point to many witnesses who bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, and so we'll see as we go through this the, the section that, that really brings up a lot of different witnesses uh, in the first five chapters, really. And then in chapter 6, we start to see a lot of confrontation. The Jews reject Jesus. Uh, in chapters 6 through 12, there's a lot of dialogue between Jesus and the Jews who've rejected him. Uh, and, and they're trying to figure him out. And Jesus is trying to reveal himself and reveal God to them. But they refuse. And then chapter 13 through chapter 17 is a very close personal dialogue with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and, and it's one of the most amazing uh, sections we have in the Gospels, uh, I think. And then chapter 18 uh, through chapter 20, uh, through chapter 19 is the death of Jesus, chapter 20 and 21, the resurrection and the encouragement of the disciples. So that's kind of the breakdown of the book. There's about seven sections uh, in the book, and we're going to look at each of these uh, tonight very briefly. So I did a very broad, very brief overview. You probably didn't catch all that. It's okay. We'll see it as we work through. Starting in verse 19, uh, John begins the normal part of his gospel and, and passes the introduction. The verse words are, this is the testimony of John. <laughs> He's just said twice, John bore witness about Jesus. Well, now he gives uh, a more full explanation of John's witness. Uh, and so in this section, what we're going to have is a number of witnesses that are given to us. First of all, John the Baptist from verse 19 all the way through verse 34 uh, John is speaking to the Pharisees and the Levites who come to him and telling them, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah, but I came to prepare the way for the one who is to come after me. And the next day it says, Jesus came and he said, this is him, this is the guy I was talking about, this is the Lamb of God. Uh, I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove and it remained on him. And it says in verse 34, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John's, John's witness is found here in this section. And then he starts to call the disciples. John tells one of his disciples, or two of his disciples that this is the Lamb of God. They follow Jesus, and we find out one of them is Andrew, Peter's brother, uh, who calls Andrew and gets, uh, who gets Peter uh, to join him and, and to follow Jesus as well. And then we read about Philip and Nathaniel uh, joining Jesus. And in chapter 2... We read about an, a miracle, the first miracle Jesus does, turning water into wine. And at the very end of that, it says, This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Another thing that's 
interesting as you study through the book of John, uh, and you remember at that, that, that summary statement, there's many other signs Jesus did. But these have been written that you might believe. One of the things you're going to see is the mentioning of signs. And this is the first sign. And, and a sign signifies something. And so as you're studying the book, you might ask the question, what is this signifying? Uh, what is he trying to say as he does this miracle? Uh, because John is pointing these stories out with that in mind, a desire for uh, us to see something being signified. Now, he doesn't spell out what's being signified in every case, but there is a desire that we would look and see what's going on uh, and look a little bit deeper than what maybe is on the surface level. In this case, turning the ritual water into wine shows that there's a transition that's happening from uh, ritual into a time of blessing. God, uh, Jesus has come to bring about the blessing on mankind that has always been promised, even all the way going back to the Garden of Eden, uh, that, that God wanted to bless his, bless his people. He wanted to create a people and bless them. Uh, and we also saw that with Abraham. After he turns the water into wine, uh, he ends up going to the Passover uh, into the temple and he turns over the money changers in the temple and says, my father's house is, is uh, being made into a market and it's supposed to be a house of prayer. Uh, and so he, he kind of chews them out for that. And then they say, what signs do you show us for doing these things? And he says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. They're like, what are you talking about? It took over 40 years, 40, 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? And, and John gives us the information. He was speaking about the temple of his body. So again, you see, he's bringing up different events in Jesus' life that has some kind of meaning, some kind of value. And in this case, John is just revealing for us that Jesus is foretelling his temple being destroyed, that he is the temple of God, that God is dwelling in him. And he said that in chapter 1. Um, that God became flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt with us, tabernacled with us. Uh, here again, He is the temple. All right, so verse 23, it says, uh, after He turned over those tables and everything, uh, many believed in Him uh, when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on His part, did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. Oh, bear witness is there again. Um, he kind of recognizes that the witness of man is only uh, so good because men are fluctuating and everything. So he gives much significance to the witness of John the Baptist, and then there's all these men who might uh, bear witness for him, but he doesn't really trust them, uh, that they truly believe in him. And I think this is starting to point to the religious leaders. We see in chapter 3 that there's a man of the Pharisees who seems like he wants to believe in Jesus, and he's not quite there yet. So it kind of gives you an example uh, that you kind of wonder, are they, are, are they really trusting in Jesus? Are they really believing in Jesus? Will they bear witness of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? And Nicodemus is specifically being brought up in chapter 3. And we're just kind of left hanging. We don't really know whether he will. It never says what Nicodemus did. And then later in chapter 3, we see John's disciples uh, upset because Jesus is baptizing more people than John. And John says... Uh, you know, I said, he's going to be greater than me. And you need to bear witness uh, to the things that I've told you about him being greater than me, verse 28. 
Uh, and then verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen. Now he, he kind of turns it to Jesus and says, Jesus is bearing witness to, to the things he's seen because he has been God and he, 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 he is God. He has existed before being human. And his testimony is telling us what God is really thinking and doing. And so John humbles himself and recognizes the greatness of Jesus. And, and he wants his disciples to bear witness to the greatness of Jesus. And the fact that John himself re realized that he was nothing and Jesus was everything. In chapter 4, uh, we learn about a Samaritan woman. And this Samaritan woman is told by Jesus everything she's done wrong... <laughs> is what, the way that she words it, that she's been married many times and the man who she's with now is not her husband. Uh, and Jesus offers her to drink from the, the, wa the living water uh, that she'll never thirst again. And she wants that living water. Uh, and then Jesus tells her everything she's ever done and, and she goes off and she bears witness in Samaria, verse 39. Uh, and many come and they see and they, they believe what... She says, and then, verse 42, they say to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Again, a testimony uh, that, that they believe Jesus is who he says he is because of the works that he's done. Uh, then verse 46 through the end of chapter 4 gives us a miracle where Jesus heals uh, an official's son, which we assume is a Roman official. Uh, and, and this is apparently another sign that we're supposed to look into. Chapter 5 uh, is interesting because we've, we've looked at all these different witnesses. But chapter 5 starts to transition us uh, to a different witness. Uh, as we start into chapter 5, we notice that there's another feast. And there's a man who's sitting by a pool on the Sabbath... Uh, who's lame, who's, who's invalid, who's unable to get up, who's unable to move, he can't walk. And Jesus asked him if he wants to be healed. And he says, I can't. No one will put me in the pool. And he's been this way for 38 years, unable to walk, unable to move. And Jesus tells him, get up, take your bed, and walk. But the Pharisees see him carrying his bed on the Sabbath, and they say, you can't do that. And he says, well, the guy that just healed me said I can. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so verse 16, we find out that they weren't too happy about this. It says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So John gives us a little bit of insight and a little bit of setup into the next section before revealing another witness, uh, the final witness that he's going to really bring up in this section. Uh, so he tells us the Jews started hating him because he was healing on the Sabbath and he was disregarding the Sabbath in, in their traditions. And... He was calling God his father, making himself equal to God. Again, John is trying to make the impression Jesus is equal with God. And the Jews didn't see it or understand it. Verse 31 of chapter 5. Uh, well, earlier they start questioning his authority to do these things, to say these things. In verse 31 he says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. 
But there's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Notice how it transitions us from the, the testimony of John that John bore witness about me to another testimony, the testimony that comes from God. He says, God is bearing witness about me that I am his son because he is allowing me to do his works. The signs that I do show that God approves of my message and my message is I am the son of God. He is my father. I am his son. We are one. We are united, and they can't accept that. So we'll get into the next section where the Jews begin to deny who Jesus is. But as we go through this section, the focus isn't so much on the denial of Jesus, I think, as the, the signs that Jesus is doing throughout this section. I mean, really the theme is they never accept what's happening. They never accept any of these signs, but... Notice the different signs that are found throughout this section, chapter 6 all the way through chapter 12. Uh, it says, first of all, in chapter 6, that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And after he feeds these 5,000 people with the bread and the fish, uh, verse 14, they see the sign that he's done and they say, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Oh, they believe. And they, they decide that they're going to come and they're going to take him by force and make him the king. But they don't understand really who Jesus is. And they're, they're trying to get what they want out of Jesus. And so Jesus escapes by himself to the mountain. And then he walks on water and he, 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 he meets his disciples in a boat and they go across the sea to the other side. Well, all those people, all that crowd sees that the disciples have left and Jesus is gone and they go to the other side and they find that he's there on the other side. And they're asking, what, what are you doing? How, how did you get over here? And Jesus says, you have sought me not because you saw the signs, but because you are filled of the loaves. Jesus knows what's in their heart that they don't really believe. They don't really understand the signs that he's done. And, and the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water were obvious signs. And they say, you are the prophet. They seem to understand that this is the guy that, that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy, who would, who would come after him, who would be the prophet. But Jesus then starts talking to them and explaining to them in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And they seem to want... Uh, that bread, they, they seem to want to follow after Jesus, to do the works of Jesus. But he doesn't think they understand. He knows they don't really understand. Verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, 
and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that they may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And they start disputing, saying, how can we eat your flesh? How can we? And then he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have life. And they're all upset and they don't believe Jesus and they don't, they don't want to follow him because they don't agree with his cannibalism uh, that he is telling them about. They don't see the figure, the image of what Jesus is really here for. That he's not here to be the king on earth that they're hoping for. He's not going to, to give them food to fill their bellies on earth. If their God is their belly, he's not here for that. But he has come to give them the the nourishment that they need for their souls to live. And that's what he's trying to help them see. Well, many don't follow him. He starts to be denied uh, at that point. And then in chapter 7, we learn about him coming to a feast. And on the last day of the feast, uh, during the feast, they're all undecided. Is this really the Christ? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And then on the last day, he stands up before all the people uh, in chapter 7, verse 37. And he says, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John has all these remarks that explain things throughout this book as well. But what he's pointing to here is he is this fountain of living water. If you're thirsty, you come to me. He says the same thing to the crowds that he said to the Samaritan woman, uh, that he is this fountain of life and you can come to me and drink. And everybody uh, starts to believe in Jesus, but the Pharisees start to say, he's deceiving you. Uh, He has a demon. None of the Pharisees have believed in him. No way that he is who he says he is. In chapter 8, it transitions into another image. It starts off with a woman uh, who has been caught in adultery, and Jesus forgives her. Uh, and then in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is the bread of life. He's the fountain of life. And now he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But the Pharisees respond you're bearing witness about yourself your testimony is not true and Jesus answered even if I do bear witness about myself my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going and then they begin this dialogue uh, of you're not who you say you are yes I am back and forth throughout this section but Jesus shows himself to be the light of the world and then in chapter 9 Uh, And later in chapter 8, he tells them, uh, I'm greater, before Abraham was, I I am. Uh, And earlier, you had the reference to Moses, I'm greater than Moses, I'm greater than Abraham, is kind of being insinuated there. Uh, But in chapter 9, he takes that light of the world image, and he shows them 
by healing a man who is born blind. Ah. So Jesus gives a sign, and John's pointing to this sign to show he is the light of the world. He has come to open up the eyes of the blind so that everyone sees who God really is. But again, the Jews deny it. And they try to discredit the man who was born blind, who, who obviously has been healed. And they try to discredit Jesus, even though this man is bearing witness to the truth that Jesus is the one who did this wonderful work for him. In chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Uh, so again, we have another image. And, and then uh, in chapters, uh, chapter 11, he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. Uh, and all of the people are believing in Jesus after that. In chapter 12, it kind of starts to crescendo because all the people are believing in him and the Pharisees are, and the, the religious leaders are upset about the fact that everybody is believing in him. They're trying to kill Jesus and they're trying to even kill Lazarus who Jesus has resurrected from the dead. Uh, and we see at the very end of chapter 12... Um, Verse 46, these are the last words John records that were spoken to the crowds. As Jesus also throughout this, I'm sorry, has, has entered into the city and you, you've got the palm branches before him saying, Hosanna, everybody seems to be believing in him. And this is what he says in verse 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You get a picture of Jesus saying, I've come to share with you who God is. And I didn't get this from myself. I got this from God. And whoever does not listen to the words that I've said will be judged because they refuse to listen and believe. But the one who listens and believes will have eternal life. Well, that ends the, the section about Jesus' denial and all those different images that we have of Jesus in the book of John. A really amazing picture of Jesus. And all of those pictures are references to Old Testament fulfillment. As the manna came down from heaven, uh, as in Zechariah and in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, there's this fountain of living water that is going to be made available by the Messiah. Um, as the light will come into darkness. I mean, all of these are images of the Old Testament. And Jesus is basically saying, I am the God who has promised to come to you in the Old Testament and provide you with the blessings that, I, that, that were always promised, even going back to Abraham. So all of these are signs intended to encourage belief. And as you dig more deeply, you're hopefully encouraged to see the signs that bear witness to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. In chapter 13, we kind of transition. Uh, after talking a lot about all of Jesus' life, now we get down to like one conversation that takes up four chapters uh, where Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. And he starts out washing their feet and telling them to love one another as he has loved them. 
in chapter 13. And then uh, he foretells Peter's denial of him, and he starts explaining to them how he must go away. And they're like, why are you going away? Don't go away. Don't leave us. And he tries to explain why he must go away so that he can send the Holy Spirit to help guide them to reveal all the truth to them so that they fully understand all that Jesus has come to do uh, and, and all that he has accomplished on earth. Uh, he, he can't send the Holy Spirit until he goes to them. And so he's trying to help them understand, trying to help them cope uh, with the fact that he's about to leave. Uh, and they're very sorrowful about that. But he encourages them. And he tells them that he is going to remember them, that he will come back and that he will take care of them. And also in chapter 17, we see him pray for them, that they would uh, not enter into temptation, that they would... Uh, that they would last, that they would be faithful to the very end. And he also prays for all those who would come after those disciples uh, who, who, who they would teach, which would be us. Uh, so, so a huge section full of a lot of really good, encouraging information. Uh, but in context, read that, and it's really exciting and encouraging. Uh, chapter 18, we start to read about the betrayal of Jesus, and we read about Peter's denial of Jesus, and we read about the, the mock trial that was set up against Jesus, and Jesus coming before Pilate and speaking boldly to Pilate about how he, has, he is a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate's acting like he doesn't believe any of that, but then the Jews want to crucify him, and they say something interesting in verse 7. Um, the Jews answered and said, uh, he asked, why should I crucify him? He, they said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered in his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, um, you will speak to me. Do you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered you over has, great, uh, has the greater sin. And verse 12, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out. So you get a picture that even Pilate is scared now because he's made himself the son of God. And now Pilate's like, Who are you? Like, are you really him? Uh, and again, you get that picture that Jesus really is the Son of God. Well, after that, we read about the crucifixion of Jesus, and a lot of details are given that show a fulfillment of the Old Testament, that Jesus uh, died just as the Old Testament uh, said that he would. He, he did a number of signs, throughout, a number of signs happened to him that reveal that this is truly the Son of God who fulfills Scripture. And then chapter 20, we read about the resurrection where Mary Magdalene uh, comes in looking for Jesus, upset, and then uh, she finds, finds out that it's him, uh, that he's a gardener. And then uh, other disciples come running to the tomb to find Jesus, uh, and eventually they all see Jesus, and Thomas doubts that Jesus is really alive and touches his side and his, his wrist to see him. Uh, and then we get the purpose of the book, and chapter 21, he appears again to his disciples, and we get the last words where... He speaks to Peter and says, do you love me? And three times he asks him, do you love me? Uh, he denied, Peter denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus asks, do you love me? Three times. And he says, feed my sheep. So 
That is the book of John as condensed as I can get it um, with all the signs and all the wonders that Jesus did. There's a whole lot more there. Uh, it's a really interesting, a really complex book. Um, but I think if you can see how John is trying to reveal the witness of all the testimonies and, and how Jesus must obviously be the Messiah by his fulfillment of the Old Testament, then I think the book will make a whole lot more sense to you as you're reading through it. Uh, the message of this book is that Jesus is the everything that the Jews were looking for and much, much more. They didn't really even see or understand in all those Old Testament prophecies that God said he himself would come and save them. Uh, we read about this in Isaiah chapter 9, that he would be called a uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Uh, we read about this in Ezekiel. Uh, God says that he himself would come and, and lead his sheep and bring them out. Uh, he says it in Zechariah. He says it in Malachi. He says it in a number of places that he himself would do this. And John tells us he himself did this. Jesus is the Son of God. And if you want everlasting life, if we want everlasting life, we have to believe in him. We have to make the same confession that many made throughout the book, that they believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God who has been sent into the world to save a lost humanity from their sins. And we have to turn out of the darkness toward the light and receive the promised blessing that he offers to us. We have to let our sins be exposed before God. And we have to be willing to confess his name before other people that we truly do believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, he's not just some lunatic, but we understand he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scripture. He is the one who God promised to bring, to give to us. And that through him, we have salvation. I love the picture in uh, the book of Zechariah. I've kind of already passed it on the slideshow accidentally. Um, but in Zechariah chapter 12, uh, it says, And I will pour out on the house of David, in verse 10, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Notice two things. First of all, he points out he's going to pour out on the house of David a spirit of grace. God has this plan in mind to pour out a spirit of grace when we look on him whom we have pierced and we confess our sins and weep bitterly over them. And he will pour out that spirit of grace and provide the salvation that we need to be forgiven of all of our sins. And that's who Jesus is. We pierced him uh, because we wanted to uh, be God. We wanted to be in control of our own lives, of our own destiny. And we didn't want to believe that he was really who he says he is. That's what mankind did. We were seeking our own glory instead of seeking God's glory, instead of believing in him. And yet, Jesus loved us enough to go through all of that so that he might save us. Many did believe in him, and do you. And if, if you do, will you confess that? Will you let your, your needs be known so that we can help you in some way? Please come as we stand and as we sing.